It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 11, Part 1 of The Star of Gettysburg. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Cornwall. The Star of Gettysburg by Joseph A. Elschiller. Chapter 11. The Calvary Combat. Part 1. Harry was a fine sleeper. One learns to be in long campaigns. Most of those about him slept as well and the ten thousand horses which had been ridden hard in the great display during the day also sank into quiet. The restless hoofs ceased to move. Now and then there was a snort or a neigh, but the noise was slight on Fleetwood Hill or in the surrounding forest. A man came through the thicket soon after midnight, and moved with the greatest caution toward the hill on which the artillery was ranged. He was in neither blue nor gray, just the plain garb of a civilian, but he was of a strong figure in his smoothly shaven face, with his great width between the eyes and massive chin, expressed character and uncommon resolution. The intruder, he was obviously such, because he sought with the minutest care to escape observation, never left the shelter of the bushes. He had all the skill of the old forest runners, because his footsteps made no sound as he passed, and he knew how to keep his figure always in the shadows until it became a common blur with them. His was a most delicate task, in which discovery was certain death, but he never faltered. His heart beat steadily and strong. It was an old risk to him, and he had the advantage of great natural aptitude, fortified by long training in a school of practice where a single misstep meant death. The sharp eyes of the spy missed nothing. He counted the thirty pieces of artillery on the hill. He estimated with amazing accuracy the number of Stuart's horsemen. He saw a thousand proofs that the heavy firing he had heard in the course of the day was not due to battle with northern troops. Although he stopped at times for longer looks, he made a wide circuit about the Confederate camp, and he was satisfied that Stuart, vigilant and daring though he might be, was not expecting an enemy. Shepard's heart for the first time beat a little faster. He had felt as much as any general the northern defeats and humiliations in the east— but, like officers and soldiers, he was not crushed by them. He even felt the tide might be about to turn. Lee, evading the north, would find before him many of the difficulties which had faced the northern generals attacking the south. Shepard, a man of supreme courage, resolved that he would spare no effort in the service to which he had devoted himself. He spent fully four hours in the thickets, and then feeling that he had achieved his task, bore away toward the river. Taking off his coat and belt with pistols in it, and fastening them about his neck, he swam with bold strokes to the other side of the stream. 
However, had anyone been on the watch at that very point, it was not likely that he would have been seen. It was the approach of dawn, and heavy mists were rising on the Rappahannock, as they had risen at Fredericksburg and Chancellorsville. Shepard gave the countersign to the pickets and was shown at once to General Pleasanton, an alert, vigorous man who was awaiting him. His report was satisfactory because the cavalry general smiled and began to send quick orders to his leaders of divisions. But the peace in Stuart's command was not broken that night. No one had seen the figure of the spy sliding through the thickets, and Harry and his comrades in the inn of the greenwood tree were very warm and snug in their blankets. As day came, he yawned, stretched, closed his eyes again, thinking that he might have another precious fifteen minutes, but recalling his resolution, sprang to his feet and began to rub his eyes clear. He had slept fully dressed like all the rest, and he intended to go down to a brook in a few minutes and bathe his face. But he first gave Sherburne a malicious shove with his foot, and bade him wake up, telling him that it was too late for an alert cavalry captain to be sleeping. Then Sherburne also yawned, stretched, and stood up, rubbing his eyes. The others about him rose, too, and everybody felt chilled by the river fog, which was uncommonly heavy. "'Breakfast for me,' said Sherburne. "'Not just now, I think,' said Harry. "'Listen, aren't those rifle shots?' Patter, patter, distant but clear in the morning, came from a point down the stream. "'You're right,' exclaimed Sherburne in alarm. "'It's on our side of the river, and it's increasing fast. "'As sure as we live, the enemy has crossed and attacked.' "'They were not left in doubt. "'Pickets running in told them the heavy force of northern cavalry "'was across the Rappahannock and was charging with vigor. "'In fact, two of the divisions had passed the fords unseen in the fog "'and were now rushing Stuart's camp. "'But Stuart, although surprised, never for an instant lost his presence of mind.' Throughout the southern lines the bugle sounded the sharp call to horse. It was full time. The outposts had been routed already and were driven in on the main body. Harry ran to his horse, which had been left saddled and bridled for any emergency. He leaped upon him and rode by the side of Sherburne, whose troop was already in line. They could not see very well for the mist, but the fire in front of them from cavalry carbines had grown into great violence. It made a huge shower of red dots against the white screen of the mist, and now they heard shouts and the beat of thousands of hoofs. "'They're making for our artillery,' exclaimed Sherburne with true instinct. "'Follow me, men. We must hold them back for a few minutes at least.' Sherburne and his gallant troops were just in time. A great force of cavalry in blue suddenly appeared in the whitish and foggy dawn, and charged straight for the guns. Without delaying a moment, Sherburne flung his troops in between although they were outnumbered twenty to one or more. He did not expect to stop them. He merely hoped to delay them for a few minutes, and therefore he offered himself as a sacrifice. Harry was beside Serburn as they galloped straight toward the northern cavalry, firing their short carbines and then swinging their sabers. "'They'll ride over us,' he shouted to Sherburn. "'But we'll trouble them a little as they pass,' the captain shouted back. Harry shut his teeth hard together. A shiver ran over him and then his face grew hot. The pulses in his temple beat heavily. He was sure that Sherburne and he and all the rest were going to perish. The long and massive northern line was coming on fast. They, too, had fired their carbines, and now thousands of sabers flashed through the mist. Harry was swinging his own sword, but the great force bore down upon them. The white mist seemed to turn red, and the long line of horsemen fused into a solid mass, its front flashing with steel. 
He became conscious, as the space between them closed rapidly, that a heavily crackling fire was bursting from a wood between the northern cavalry and the river. The southern skirmishers, brushed away at first, had returned swiftly, and now they were sending a rain of bullets upon the blue cavalrymen. Many saddles were emptied, but the line went on and struck Sherburne's troop. Harry saw a man lean from his horse and slash at him with a saber. He had no saber of his own, only a small sword, but he cut with all his might at the heavy blade instead of the man, and he felt, rather than saw, the two weapons shatter to pieces. Then his horse struck another, and reeling in the saddle, he snatched out a pistol and began to fire at anything that looked like a human shape. He heard all about him a terrible tumult of shots and shouts, and the thunder of horses' hoofs. He still saw the red mists and a thousand sabers flashing through it, and he heard, too, the clash of steel on steel. The northern line had been stopped one minute, two minutes, and maybe three. He was conscious afterward that in some sort of confused way he was trying to measure the time, but he was always quite certain that it was not more than three minutes. Then the northern cavalry passed over them. Harry's horse was fairly knocked down by the impetus of the northern charge, and the young rider was partly protected by his body from the hoofs that thundered over them. Horse and rider rode together. Harry found that the reins were still clenched in his hand. His horse was trembling all over from shock, and so was he, but neither was much harmed. Beyond him the great cavalry division was galloping on, and he gazed at it a moment or two in a kind of stupor but he became conscious that the fire of the southern skirmishes on its flank was growing heavier, and that many horses without riders were running loose through the forest. Then his gaze turned back to the little band that had stood in the path of the whirlwind, and he uttered a cry of joy as he saw Sherburne rising slowly to his feet, the blood flowing from a wound in his left shoulder. "'It isn't much, Harry,' said the captain. "'It was only the point of the saber that grazed me.' But my horse was killed, and the shock of the fall stunned me for a moment or two. Oh, my poor troop! There was good cause for his lament. Less than one-fourth of his brave horsemen were left unhurt, or with but slight wounds. The wounded who could rise were limping away toward the thickets, and the unwounded were seeking their mounts anew. Harry caught a 